You are listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. Hey, Matt Frank. Uh, yes, Chris. I have a question for you that maybe you specifically can answer. What kind of beer do, you know, the giant monsters, the kaiju, drink? Uh, I, I, I don't know, because, you know, a beer is really sort of a, a human construct, and kaiju are sort of supposed to be, I mean, thematically, they're supposed to be above humanity uh, and uh, okay, human okay, devices okay. and all that. All There's right. not really any evidence to no, support No, 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 let me they, stop you right there. All right, fine. What kind of beer do people who like kaiju and giant monsters drink? Oh, Circle Brewery. Circle that, Brewery. That, that stuff's great. So you too. Sure, hell yeah. Oh, it's right here in Austin, yeah. Texas. Circle Brewery, uh, they have their brew pub. You can go check out all their beers right there, and they are the official sponsor for oneofus.net. Hell yeah. Uh, you look at, yeah, I mean, you're drinking a... The, the, the Hefeweizen is pretty good. Yeah, the Circle like. Blur. It's my favorite, too. Yeah, I, I actually just like... I don't even like beer, and I like uh, these guys. I Actually, it's, it's nice. It's a nice flavor to it. It's good stuff. Check out Circle Brewing, the official sponsor for oneofus.net, and come visit them at their brew pub in Austin, Texas. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> Chris. Yes? Chris, did you... Okay, there's some show. There's a show. It's called Legends of uh, Legendary something. I don't know. Who cares? It's Legends uh, of Tomorrow. Uh, sure, whatever. And I, I think there's... I think John Constantine is in it. I don't know. I don't know any of these characters. But... Uh, they did you, for the, this is the actual comic book professional here, guys. <laughs> I am the not comic book professional who's like, seriously, right now... I, You're like, there's no kaiju in it. Godzilla like, is a Marvel character. I'm so. sorry. Do I look like a bitch? Because <laughs> you're talking to me like a bitch right now. That's true. No, uh, no, it's it's no. I mean, to be fair, okay. So as you guys may have picked up on, first of all, I'm Matt. I, I am. I'm his sidekick, Chris. Damn right. Uh, <laughs> you are. I am lesser. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's not suck the ghost of my dick too hard. Um, I don't think I said that. I, no, I know. You I know. know. I mean, like, I don't know where you rank overall. I just know I'm lesser. Let's just say it's pretty high. Anyway, um, fair enough. Fair enough. No, there's a. I, uh, I got pretty high before I started this, knowing what was going to happen. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're here uh, talking about uh, sort of a bit of a surprise, uh, a, a little, a little gift, a little goodie. For the kaiju fandom that sort of popped up over back over Thanksgiving, and uh, and I only just got around to seeing it. It's this show. It's it's DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and it's basically sort of a. I haven't watched this series. I've been vaguely aware of it. I've seen a little bit of the Flash and a little bit of Supergirl. Morgan's watched a shit ton of Arrow, uh, but beyond that, I'm that's the show she. Oh well, because well, the dude it was hot. It was well, yeah, but it was also the only. Um, it was the only one there for a while, and she was sort of like, "It's trash, but it's my trash." I admit, there's an episode as like as a heterosexual male uh-huh. can admit when a dude is sexy. Oh, sure. There's a scene right off the bat in like the first or second episode of Arrow where the dude has a pull up bar machine that he does pull ups by force of like strength. Pushing the bar into the air and going up to the next level with each one. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, that is the most 
masculine shit I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> who can do that is, is they're fucking incredible. That's pretty um, amazing. But yeah, um, and so Legend of Tomorrow is. Uh, I would almost uh, now when I say this, I don't mean this in a negative way. That's why I'm running it by you first. Would you call it kind of a dumping ground for all the other DC shit? In okay. Action? So when the show started, the uh-huh. idea was kind of these are the, these side characters that like these basically uh, the CW could get to stay into contract <laughs> who had had appearances on other shows, but they weren't really sure where they fit in anymore on those other shows. That they were like, well, let's do it. That we've got DC's got so many weird D level characters. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and not all the characters on here are indeed in the DC Comics universe D level. Like the Atom was a pretty big character for a yeah. period of time, but uh, amongst some of the others, uh, but uh, they were like. Also, there was somebody clearly in there who was like, America's tried to do Doctor Who like five times and it's <laughs> never worked. And, and like, maybe we should just, like, it's a time travel show. We've even got an actor from Doctor Who, the guy who played Rory and the yeah. Matt Smith run, okay. playing this captain who co- comes in and is like, yes, I am the captain who done controls the time ship. And that first season was awkward. It had some bad acting in it, like like the Hawkman and Hawkgirl. They were trying to do their whole storyline, which is full of pathos. Yeah, and it works in the comics, but maybe doesn't work quite so well in the in, in television. And everyone was like, "I like the time travel shit. I like when y'all get goofy, but it's not really totally selling." So the second season, they were like, "Fuck Hawkman and Hawkgirl. They're they're dead out of there. Uh, let's br- bring in new characters." And it kind of started this thing of constantly rotating out the core cast mm-hmm. of people who are DC from B to F list heroes sure. who are on the ship who are doing time travel shit. And as it's gone along, it's gotten goofier and goofier. In fact, I got to make you watch another episode of this too, oh, yeah? because this is not the first Kaiju episode. Oh really? No, there is a whole running thing with this giant teddy bear that like, <laughs> uh, like who in the end of the last season is like the, like De- Deus Ex Machina. They basically God. all Voltron combine into a giant kaiju-sized version of this love me oh teddy bear God, that, that smashes the villain. <laughs> yeah, it's it, the show got so absurd that it was just a point. It was like, you know what, fuck it, and it, it figured out how to be the American Doctor Who, where it was like, yeah. They go back in time, they meet with famous people that people know, and they're doing it from more of an American perspective. Like last season, they, they had to help George Lucas because they accidentally, in an encounter with him, scared him off from science fiction. Right. And the characters on the show who were, they, because of who they, they, because of who they are, like one was a historian, right. one was a scientist, neither one of them ever became that person because there was never a George uh. Lucas who made Star Wars and Indiana Jones. They had to go back and, Reinvigorate him to do, to do what he <laughs> By loves. By the way, George. Uh, okay, so you're gonna get an inkling at some point to do like the Clone Wars. Don't do it. Just don't. It would have been great if they had done that. And there are like this is the type of show that's not afraid to throw in little like snark and side jokes like that. Well, sure, but. Alright, so we're on, like, um, the fourth season, I think? It looks like it was the fourth season, yeah. yeah. And uh, this episode in particular, well, I'm watching, I didn't know this was coming. I, I was like, I didn't, I don't do the whole read ahead of time, so I was sure. like, just watching this, getting caught up, and going, holy shit, this is about the creator of Godzilla, does Matt Frank know about this? I, I, I heard about it while I was in Tokyo, uh, and I was 
and I was telling people about it. They're like, what? Because the thing that, the thing is, and I've said this several other places, uh, the Japanese get kind of weirded out when Americans know about their shit. Mm. Like, um, especially when it comes to something niche like Tokusatsu and Kaiju Ega and stuff or Kaiju movies. Um, cause they're basically amazed when people even know who Ashiro Honda is. Um, but yeah, the basic plot of this episode is... Uh, which is called Tegumo Attacks. Tegumo Attacks, which I really appreciated the, um, the, the, the title screen was in Japanese. That was a nice little touch. And, uh, and it looked like an old school, like, monster movie, like, you know, Legends of Tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> it's just, that's how they say it. That's no, I know, I it. know. It's just, um, it, you gotta understand. Like, to some level, immediately in today's culture, I just recall. Yeah, I know, I'm it's, like, it's really easy to, it, and, it, and it's silly for a white guy to still, do it, but. It's still funny. I gotta fucking say, man. I still laugh every time I see this image that I saw a year ago that was just this bottle of, like, lotion with Japanese figures on it, but it said Roshan on it. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, when you're physically fucking there, it's yeah, all know. over the goddamn place. I know. But it is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, and the episode is really kind of focused on, you know, it's sort of like the George Lucas episode. They're going back in time, and there's been some shenanigans in the time stream where a monster apparently destroyed Tokyo in the 1950s. They decide, okay, we need to go back in time, we need to figure out what's going on, we have to stop it before it happens. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure that if you were to tell me, see, I, if you were to tell me who these characters were supposed to be, I would have been like, oh, I know who that is. Oh, I know who that is. Oh, I know who that is. But nobody's in costume and, and nobody, and everybody kind of just refers to each other by first name. So I'm like, I don't know who any of these characters are supposed to be except okay. for John Constantine. He's the only one that I'm like, okay, that's John. Well, he's Alan Moore created him. He's a great character. Who's right. A, who is a, a luck magician is the way I always like to describe him. He, I forget the term that Alan Moore had him, or no, maybe yeah. it was Jamie Delano had him say, where he was like describing like he runs the, the convenience highway or something like that. It's just sort of like, well, if I just kind of assume that things are going to go my way, they kind of do with just normal everyday shit. Right. But inevitably everyone he loves around him dies horribly. And anyone who trusts him dies horribly. And anyone who he chose chooses to pay attention to dies horribly. And this is right. kind of turned into a thing for him. Well, he's all I, I, in the, in the handful of appearances and comics that I've seen him in and read him in, He's always got that little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he's kind of trying to keep people at a distance and things like that. I mean, it's 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 classic archetypal stuff, but he is a really fun character based on what I've seen. I, I love that they're really playing him, which has been brought up in the comics before, but was never a dominating force. The fact that he is way, I guess, actually pansexual is more accurate. Oh, but, interesting. But, like, they really play up the fact that, like... Like, men, women, it, it's like... Like, to him, it's like it's ridiculous to even... You know, choosing it's like DC CW once again being all woke, but uh, yeah. but, uh Katie Lotz plays the leader of the Legends, who is she's White the blonde, Canary, right? Yeah, she's what White Canary. Okay, yeah. Then I'm not even going to get into the Arrow backstory where she came from because it's okay. fucking complicated. Okay, that's but fine. She's basically the sister of the first Black Canary. Of Black Canary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brandon Ralph, yes, Superman uh -huh. is uh, is the Adam. See, now that blew my mind because when I came in here and I was talking to you guys and for the other show we just did with John and Morgan, and uh, when when one of y'all said that was the Adam, I'm like, what? And I'm like, why didn't he shrink? Um, but that's not what the episode's about for him. 
no, um, no. I no. mean, he's like he's a techno hero. He's Iron Man, who one of his powers is he can trick. Basically, right. if you if you or cross blast. together Iron Man and Ant Man into one character, it's basically who they're playing him as. Right. Except uh, where his personality is more fanboy geeky mm-hmm. than than math guy geeky. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I I liked him, and I liked his personality and everything. Uh, who was the one fugitive that they got to work for them? The the one girl, uh, she's the British black girl. What is her... Oh, okay. So uh, there is a character on here that is was originally an entirely different character. Okay. All right, the actress. Okay. She was a person who... Uh, I, oh, my God, what's her name? Vixen, I think? Yeah. I was going to say, I saw on the preview, it looked like a character, it looked like this girl had this necklace like Vixen has. And I'm like, is that is that supposed to be right. Vixen? So that actress played Vixen on a previous show, which, by the way, she is the grandmother of the character on the CWC animated show. Oh, my God. But it's a time travel show. So, you know. Okay. But she went back to her timeline, right? Okay. And there's a whole big thing because she was in a relationship with another guy that was never supposed to happen yet. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, this girl is actually, because this season is about, there's been a mystical, they fucked some shit up last season, and now there's this mystical crack, and all these mystical creatures are coming through the timeline. Right. I They're, picked up on that. First episode, they had to fight a unicorn that was impaling people. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so she was a changeling that basically talked them out of killing her saying, Hey, not all magical creatures are evil by definition. Right. And, but, but Constantine's magic trapped her in the last form she chose, which was that form. Oh, gotcha. So now okay. she's got this sort of like, well, this is annoying. I can't change forms anymore. Right. And I'm trapped in this form. All these people recognize and have a weird reaction to it. Anyway. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm over explaining. No, no, no. I, it, it actually really helps. It helps a lot of context. Business. I mean, I was picking up on a lot of things where I'm like, oh, this is this character. This is who this character is. This is, well, this is what, this is what role this character fits. I mean, if you follow the comic books, a lot of this is very confusing. Like, for instance, Dominic Purcell from uh, uh, Prison Break plays Heatwave, which has always, across the board, been a straight-up villain in DC Comics. Is he the big, bald, white guy? Yeah. Okay. And and I they like kind of made him where now he's he's not anymore. He's he's still, like, when they're out on missions, he steals shit all the time. <laughs> and they're like, ah, that's Rory. That's what he does. Oh, you know, that's, his, that's kind funny. of his thing. But, like... He ultimately is like, I kind of like being part of, like, actually doing something good, even if I can do bad things along the way. Which is cute, right? Yeah, I really liked his little arc in this episode. Uh, His character, just his voice and everything is really fun. And And then there's, uh, oh my goodness, Talia Ash. Tala Ash as Zari, which, um, okay, whose actual character in DC Comics is Isis, but for obvious reasons, well, yeah. they're no longer using the name of that character. Okay. Yeah, so. Okay, uh, okay, well, it all starts to make a little more sense. I knew that all these characters were somebody, but I, um, but anyway, uh, the, the, to, to the plot of the episode, I really, I really appreciate having you here, Chris, because you were the one who kind of, Really kind of clued me into this episode and everything. I was so excited as, as I was watching it. I was like literally lying in bed and like texting Matt, like, Oh my God, Matt Frank, am I actually going to tell you about a kaiju thing you don't know about? Could this be the first time? I mean, to be fair, I, I was a little distracted when it first came out, but uh, I had not seen it until I knew we were going to watch this episode, uh, do record this episode. But, um, <clears throat> And I remember uh, uh, something that you had said was, Matt, you're either going to really love this or you're going to be really mad mm-hmm. because I got a bunch of shit wrong. I now, had no idea which way it was going to go. Well, this should be a bit of an indication. 
the opening scene um is Ishiro Honda, the the who is the director of the original Godzilla. He also directed Rodan and Mothra and Matango and Varan the Unbelievable. Oh wow! And, uh, I had no idea he was yeah. Mothra versus Godzilla, Gito three headed monster, Godzilla versus Monster Zero, Terror of Mechagodzilla, um, a bunch of Ultraman, uh, well, a couple of Ultraman episodes, some Zone Fire episodes. <gasps> he a I, weirdly Casablanca. No. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. Yeah. No, um, he was a prolific director. Uh, and of course, as I've said many times before, one of Akira Kurosawa's best friends and frequent co, he, he was the co-director or at least the, um, second unit director on a lot of, of Kurosawa's stuff. No shit. There was a, uh, there was a saying that whenever actors, uh, they both like to use a lot of the same actors and, if an actor, if Kurosawa, now Kurosawa very famously worked outside of the studio system a lot, whereas Honda was a loyal company man when it came to Toho. Um, when Kurosawa would come to an actor to ask him to be in his film, uh, the actor would, sometimes the actor would have to turn him down by saying like, oh, I'm, and, and, now normally, Kurosawa did not like not getting his way. He liked being like, no, I need you for this project. Yeah. But if, but if the actor would say, oh, no, no, I'm working, I'm working with Honda on something, Kurosawa like, would say, ah, if Honda's doing it, it must be good. Uh, so wow. he would, yeah. What he, a weird mix between highbrow and lowbrow, like, you know, it, I mean, like in terms of like the perception at the time. I was about to say yeah. the cultural perception, which is something that a lot of, I'm not going to get into it, but a lot of American critics can't reconcile that. Yeah. In fact, they will credit, uh, some it is it is it has been recorded that some uh film historians and some film critics will say that Ishiro Honda and Inoshiro Honda are two different guys because Inoshiro is how sometimes uh his name was rendered in American publicity stuff for kaiju movies. Huh. Um so they were like, "Oh, there's a Shiro Honda who was this co- his collaborator with uh who was a frequent collaborator with Akira Kurosawa and yada yada yada. But then there was Inoshiro Honda, who's just some hack. Who really? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a real thing. There was that amount of like they just couldn't make their brains meet together. They couldn't the, make these, the connection. The guy who did Godzilla and Akira Kurosawa, who did the Seven Samurai, actually are good friends and work together. I mean, uh, the, that film Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love that movie. Oh yeah. Uh, a, a lot of people tend to credit, uh, for instance, the intervention of George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola uh, for getting Kurosawa out of retirement. Kurosawa himself credited Honda with that. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, anyway, Honda's a big deal, and and it's nice to really see him getting a lot more credit in the states recent in recent years. Um, here's the thing: this opening scene, Honda is filming a scene where as uh, a young woman uh, fishing for pearls, she's fishing for oysters, and essentially is a pearl diver. I actually, dirty, but. it does, I know. I actually, uh, literally started tearing up. Oh, wow. Because, uh, that film, uh, the, a film, Honda always wanted to make this film about pearl divers in the so Pacific. You, you, you posted something about that and I had no idea what that meant. And I was like, I don't, am I missing a big obvious reference here? It's not an obvious reference. Like, it's, it's, a. It's for people who appreciate deep cuts, but but based around the behind the scenes stuff. Because Honda's real passion when it came to filmmaking was human interest stories and stories about people, uh, which is why in the old kaiju movies they tend to have pretty decent human characters, even on the low end of the spectrum. They're at least memorable to some extent, but on the high end of the spectrum, you know, his human characters are great. Um, 
uh, Honda had this dream about making a Pearl Diver movie, and I don't believe he ever got to make it. In fact, doing kaiju movies prevented him from making a lot of the movies he really wanted to make. He stuck to it, and he he made some of the greatest monster movies of all time. No question. But there's a certain amount of there's a certain bittersweetness to that that he never really got to make the movies he wanted to make because Toho was like, "No, you're too good at making monster movies. Keep making monster movies." Right. Efficiency. So, so the so again. It's one of the reasons why I really want to talk to whoever wrote this episode, because that is some deep-cut shit. Okay. Yeah. No, that's... I mean, it's impressive that that, which is a... Obviously, somebody who took their time to actually read about the this guy was like, right. oh, that's a thing it feels like would be a big deal here. The, yeah. The, the show actually said, let's include that as a big part of this. If nothing else, there's a possibility they could have... There was a book that came out within the last year about Ashiro Honda. I highly recommend to anyone who know, who is has any interest in this genre. Um, it's by uh, Steve Rifle and Ed Gosuchewski. Yes, that's his actual name. Um, it's not... He didn't change it. That was his birth name, was Godzuchewski. Um Wow. He, uh, I wouldn't change it either. Right? Uh, he... Um, uh, he, uh, uh, they wrote, they've been working on this Ashiro Honda book for years, and I believe there's a forward in it by, um, oh shit, uh, some big director wrote a forward for it, who, cause he always admired some big American Hollywood director, um, <laughs> Michael Bay, um, <laughs> no, Michael Bay doesn't even know how to read, uh, no, the, I, su- I suspect not, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, uh, uh, Anyway, yeah, I highly recommend that book, but if nothing else, I'm sure that the person writing this probably listened to David Callett's commentary track on the 1954 Godzilla Blu-ray from Criterion. People writing this. Shows like this are never written by one That's person. That's true. So, I'm sure in fact, that- I'm looking at the credits. There's Kibo Shimizu, Uba oh. Mohammed, uh, Jesus. Um, uh, Tyron B. Carter, like, and then, of course... To some degree, the guys who are the showrunners, Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, people like that who always have to put their fingers in. So it could have been any of them. Any of them could have contributed this little point. But anyway, the basic plot, of course, is that there is a monster that's not supposed to be here outside of the time stream. And through the course of the episode, they discovered that it was this book, this magical book that had fallen through the cracks of reality or whatever. And... um. Uh, somebody makes a reference to what exactly it is. It's some mythological artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, when you get it, the book bonds to you, and you. And if you're a creative person, you become filled with inspiration. For, for the record, those of us who are, are big fans of DC's Magic Magic Universe are a little concerned about what's happening there. Uh-oh. Because everything they're saying about it makes it sound like it's Destiny's book from the Sandman. Oh. And I'm like, please, please don't riff on Neil Gaiman's Sandman here. I know technically it's a DC uh, Universe Can we thing, not? I don't, I don't want you to do can that. Can we not do that? Well, it feels like that's what they're getting. And I'm like, don't do that. Are the Watchmen showing up in this universe? Not in the televised version at this point. Okay. They can. At any point, it could happen because they have full rights to it. But uh, Well, actually, I don't know what CW's rights entail specifically. But mm-hmm. I, I, I get the impression that they're straight up DC's like yes or no right. kind of story for any given thing. Um, but uh, in the comics, they certainly can. Yeah, I, I, been. I heard about that. Uh, um, yeah, I, uh, so, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, we all, I'm not even really a, a big two guy, you know, a Marvel or a DC guy, I'm, but I do know enough to know that 
it's 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 been rough. It's been rough for Alan Moore and his creations when it comes to the broader and his DC fans stuff. as well and his fans. Um, but yeah, the episode is just. I mean, it has this lovely kind of washed out sepia tone quality to the like flashback that. stuff. Yeah, there are some subplots going on. There's a subplot with John Constantine. He's basically dying, and um, someone is it the Atom? Yeah, has to go uh, get this other magical user to help him out. Yeah, there yeah. uh, because he has a relationship with a sort of mini big bad from a previous season. That right, she's like a black magic sort that he sorcerer. believed had been like has a chance at being redeemed type right. of thing. That's his the Adam's whole thing is he's the Boy Scout. Yeah, he's he's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's this other thing going on uh, because uh, some of the characters there are some characters who it's the son the the guy who runs the um, the organization. And uh, his son uh, basically are having Thanksgiving dinner, and they're more who, or less. Who, do you know who the dad was, right? Uh, no, it's Biff from Back to the Future. What? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, I, I had no I, idea about that. I can't remember which is one of the episodes this season. There's actually a very can't miss it Back to the Future joke oh, with them, but like, that's really cute. Yeah, about uh, being covered in manure. So, oh, like, yeah. Well, there's a um, and then and then while that happens, there's sort of chaos. Uh, things kind of run amok. Things go wrong at the actual time bureau or whatever the Men in Blacks type organization that manages time, time, and, um, time. And uh, uh, I really appreciate that a lot of the, these monsters that show up are guys in suits. It's it, they're 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 it's all practical effects. Like there's a chupacabra and it's like this yeah. total man suit chupacabra. It's really cool. Um, and I really thought, I don't know what any of these characters are, but there's a little, um, there's a little Asian, uh, Take she's a takeout lady. She's a lady who delivers them. Oh, food. she's great. They just introduced her character an episode or two before that, right? Who is like, yeah, she's like the delivery person who it turns out like is obsessed with the history of monsters and yes. ends up getting a job there when she accidentally has become witness to what the this place actually does. Right, you have and, your monster hand. And they're like, oh wow, you're actually pretty good at this. And she's like this totally. I love it when superhero shows introduce. Just guileless, super sweet characters like her, yes. but that are yeah. I mean, they're flawed, but they're just like no. I love this. I'm here. I'm here for this. And yeah. the uh, and I really thought that scene where it turned out that the guy who was at the front desk uh, was basically um, had more or less stealth invited her to Thanksgiving by ordering enough food for the two of them and stuff. I was like, that is so fucking cute. Yeah, that character I'm less fond of. Oh. Yeah. So. I, w- I don't know anything about him, so. Anyway. Yeah, but, anyway. Uh, so let's get to the actual, uh, the kaiju-related stuff as opposed to the right. side character, because, like, Ishiro Honda, when, in this episode, is like, it's not so much that a monster has destroyed Tokyo as that there is a monster that yes. was reported on. They're like, there's never actually been a giant kaiju in history. Right, right. Not so, in, not here, anyway. Yeah. Not that that's been recorded and then destroyed Tokyo. So, so their whole thing is their time computer basically scans history for things that are like, oh, this didn't happen before. That this is new. For, this is new. That didn't happen. This is changing the timeline, which is often a problem because the moment it happens, their memories change of history. Right. So they have to trust the computer to go like, no, no, no. This was not something that was supposed to happen. Right. I, 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 I mean, I picked up on that when you were talking about the George Lucas thing. Right. Um, this was detached enough to where it didn't really affect any of them personally. Right. But they still have to do their job. Yeah, which is go back and, and you know, w- much like the George, George Lucas episode, kind of 
make sure Hun stays interested in making films. Yeah, and, but they've also got to figure out this whole monster business. Yeah, figure out what is this monster? Where did it come from? How is this related to our bigger magical issue? Which takes a few neat twists and turns. Sure. But I think your fans are more interested in hearing the nitty gritty of how Hondo is per- portrayed, which, uh, uh, for the record, I just called up the actor. It, Ajiro Ozaki? I don't know if I'm saying I'm that not right familiar not. with that actor. But he was in Letters from Iwo Jima. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, he oh. played young Kaito in Heroes Season 2. Wow, okay. Uh, and he played um, Masao Kume in Little Boy. So, hmm. so he's, he's mostly known for co-productions uh but uh that's interesting um yeah he was really good he he does kind of have a little bit of that honda look to him sort of a mousy sort of withdrawn drawn in kind of guy and he has a very sweet disposition which i thought was very important because honda he was a pacifist and pretty much everyone who ever talked with him or worked with him said he's a straight shooter he's a he's a straight shooter he knows what he wants and he's a sweet guy so I really felt that his portrayal was really good. And, of course, you know, obviously, like I said, the whole thing with the Pearl Divers, I was just like, holy shit, somebody knows their shit here. Um, and, of course, through the plot of the episode, he essentially I, – I really appreciate this, even though it's not totally accurate. Um, okay, so here's the thing. They sort of made a mishmash of three different people into this version of Honda. There's Ishiro Honda, the director – uh, and sometimes writer. There's Tomiyuki Tanaka, who was the producer and sort of the high-level idea guy. And then there's Eiji Tsuburaya, who was the special effects guy. So I, I, I cog my eyebrow a little bit a little bit when Honda is behind the camera while they're shooting this effects scene in the miniature city. And because I was like, mm, that Honda didn't really do that. That was Tsuburaya. Tsuburaya was the director of special effects and miniatures and stuff in those days. But... I get kind of what they were going for. There's already so much going on. They sort of want to focus this around one character. Mm-hmm. And bringing in Subaraya, Subaraya is such a big personality that he would have taken over the episode. Okay. Because uh, Subaraya was like way more like, no, it has to be like this. And he, he, he was actually a lot like Kurosawa in that way. And he was one of those guys who was like, no, it has to be like this. And it has to be like this. And he was very much perfectionist in like, it, it needs to look like this. Or anyway, um... So, you know, because they basically, they credit the whole monster idea to Honda, even though it was Tanaka who had the idea to make a monster movie. And then um, they all, in the process of collaboration, decided they really were going to make it about Hiroshima and all that. Or more about nuclear bombs in general. But um, And also, they coded it in a way to where they are implying that he, or they were saying that he was a Hiroshima survivor. And that's what inspired him to create the monster Tagumo. It's, I mean... So they flat out say it, pretty much. They do. So was he not a Hiroshima survivor? No. Uh, the That's one of those things where it's like, okay, they're taking liberties because they're trying to acknowledge that Kaiju started out... Was uh, influenced by that. Influenced by nuclear bomb testing. So it was so. a dramatic license to make it more feel more emotional, had to have the character himself. Exactly. Say. And he's basically a stand-in for the Japanese psyche of the time, of the people, and how what Godzilla means to them, what Godzilla means to people, especially from the time, and especially to Honda. Honda was all gung-ho about making it about... Uh, nuclear war and stuff. Mm. Um, that really, that is his influence uh, in, in a lot of ways. But the reality of it is, uh, and I'm actually going to quote August Ragone on this because I posted about this episode uh, today, uh, <laughs> as you said, the whole Pearl Diver thing. More than once. More than once. 
And uh, August uh, commented. Now, August is uh, uh, Captain Know-It-All, but um, he... Uh, He's uh he 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 did write respond to him at, at Captain Know It All. <laughs> well, August is a August is a, he is an expert and he has he he wrote a book that was that's AG Super I Master of Monsters which you should also check that one out. That's a great book. It's got a lot of really cool pictures in it. Um so uh but so so I'm not going to say all of this but I did I did want to quote some of this. Um so he wasn't a Hiroshima survivor. He was, uh, Hondo was in the Imperial Japanese Army fighting against the Chinese in, uh, Japanese occupied Manchuria. At a certain point, uh, his unit, uh, was captured and, um, by, by the Chinese, uh, they were captured. I don't know if it was by the Chinese or by the Americans, but they were POWs. And Hondo very much did care for his troops. He, uh, had a very, a major sense of responsibility towards his troops and he really didn't like the war. But it was his duty, you know. He kind of did what he was told. Sure. Um, and uh, after the war, the Americans made all the returning Japanese soldiers pass through Hiroshima. And he did say that that really left a mark on him, going through Hiroshima and seeing. So so it, it, that's why I was saying, like, it's coded in a certain way where they're like, oh, he was a survivor. But at the same time, it could be interpreted as, like, him just physically being there. But either way... It's more dramatic that he's a survivor. Sure. Um, so, yeah, um, Suburaya himself and his children were survivors of the bombing raids on Tokyo in 44 and 45, which arguably, well, no, it's actually true that they that killed more people than the nu- nuclear bombs. Um, anyway, this is fun, isn't it? This is fun. We're so much fun. history, um, Matt. Thank you. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. I, I mean, it's interesting where, like, Godzilla is a... Huge archetypal change to culture. Oh yes, no question. And finding out more about like the derivation of that is indeed interesting. How can that not be interesting? I know, I know. And I, and of course, it, I'm, I'm the guy who like got like three World War Two books for Christmas. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm sure. Like, I'm I mean, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, two and one World War One book, and and then also a book about a serial killer from the twenties. So that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds cool. I mean, I, I, I like history. It's a sign of getting older that you're yeah. super into history. I'm loving my history. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, and I I definitely like. You know, uh, and that's one of the reasons why, of course, I, I like kaiju and I like to spout about this genre because it is a way to learn about history and learn about culture and stuff. And especially to learn about people, uh, about the people of this time in this particular, uh, this particular point in time. So as a, as a way to drama, dramatize it, they made him a Hiroshima survivor and all that. I, I would say that, yeah, if you take it as a dramatization, I think that is effective. I do, I would say, I would put a little bit of caveat and say it's a slightly problematic since it's a it's a pretty big deal to claim someone is a Kirishima survivor, um, but you know what? They're making a point, and they're making a point about how you created art out of your pain. Sure, and that is true for Honda in a lot of ways. Well, I could argue, like a, a like you said, he went, he actually saw the after effects, and that had a huge effect on him. And I think the episode largely focused on that aspect of it, mm-hmm. and was just kind of ab- vague about it. Otherwise, right, and you know what? Uh, it's it's fine. I thought it was very respectful, and I thought uh, I thought as a creative license, as sort of a as sort of a um, a Mr. Banks style kind of retelling of events. I feel like it made its point very well, um, and I really uh, I really did appreciate where they were like, yeah, because uh, Honda, you know, he 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 
she was uh, that was a bit. I mean, if you go back and you watch a lot of his old Godzilla movies and a lot of his kaiju movies, there is an underlying theme of of brotherhood of man, and we're all in this together. Sure. And um, one of my favorite moments from the original Mothra versus Godzilla, uh, they try to uh, the the heroes, the Japanese characters, try to go to Mothra's island to convince Mothra to help them fight Godzilla. The first thing that happens is they are immediately basically captured by the natives of the island who say, your people played with the fire of the gods. And you have basically uh, wrought a sin against nature because their island itself had been it was had been caught up in nuclear fallout during all the testings in, in, in the Pacific. And the thing is, those characters they're telling this to are Japanese. But... Honda is basically making no distinction. He's saying, we're all responsible for this. And I just thought that was a really interesting moment because, you know, essentially they're like, you're part of the modern world. You're part of what created this. You're part of the reason why our people are stricken with disease. And, you know, we have almost no greenery on our island. I mean, basically the only thing keeping us alive is Mothra's power. And it's a it's a heavy theme for a doofy monster movie from 1964. But all that um, stuff was there for subtext. It's oh, yeah. important. That's why we people like you are so interesting to have around to talk about this stuff. Yeah, 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 I'm interesting. I'm not an obnoxious burden. Um, <laughs> no, sometimes that too. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm I, kidding. I, I, I'm I, kidding. I know. It's uh, not true. There was no. Yes, I love Matt Frank so much Aww. that it actually makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. That's weird, but thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, going back to the episode, yes. say, which I realized we could probably go deep cut into history and keep going here uh, for hours, oh, which sure. is the whole point of having the Gigantic Ass Podcast, so in the future <laughs> you get a chance to do that it's with true, people who true. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but there's a moment in this episode I was like, this is the moment Matt Frank is either going to be like, fuck this episode, or I kind of love this. Okay. Where one of the characters goes to him and goes, hey man, forget about the whole octopus thing. Think about lizards. Lizards is the future. It was it was very cute. I thought it was very funny. It was a nice little... Because they've got to do that. They've got to do this little, like, this little nugget. And I thought it was really cute. And... Uh, it's very it's very nebulous as to who really came up with the idea of let's do a giant lizard because originally Godzilla was supposed to be a giant octopus. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. It was uh, originally their idea was it was supposed to be, uh, or at least one of the ideas they kicked around was a giant uh, a giant octopus of some kind that attacks Tokyo. Uh, guys, go read these books I've been talking about. Another great book is the is the Critical History and Filmography of Toho's Godzilla series by David Callett, which is a really... That's a great one. Nice. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, Giant Octopus was one of the monsters that was considered, but I think because, basically, they decided that... Um, there's a lot of different reasons why they decided to go with a giant lizard, with a giant dinosaur, essentially. Um, some people... Some said, like, oh, a dinosaur is is cooler. Or um, other others said, oh, a, a dinosaur will be easier because you can put, we can put a guy in a suit, basically, and it'll be cheaper. Yeah. Um, some, some say... And there's also plenty of evidence to suggest that Tanaka was aware of the American film Beast from 20,000 Fathoms which has a giant dinosaur in it and said, like, we need to make something more like that because dinosaurs are cool. Um, so, so you it's know one what? of those, like, it's so, who knows that 
Why couldn't it have been a time traveler who suggested <laughs> it to him? I mean, it's I, again, it's a very cute line. I really appreciated that line. And uh, the one thing I will say, I, I really, I, I also really, really loved the miniature battle, the battle between because at a certain point, oh, um, that was so great, Heat Wave, because he's got this thing about wanting to be a writer. He is, he created this um, warrior goddess from some other planet yeah, or with something. Three boobs. With three boobs, which yeah. I thought was great. I, I love the moment he's like, "Do you think three boobs are enough?" Do I was thinking about doing four. four. <laughs> and and, and uh, Honda was like, "No, three was enough." Um, <laughs> but I love that Honda was like magnificent when she shows up yeah. and she kicks the shit out of Tagumo in this miniature city. The one thing I. I know it would have been it would have been extra time. It was they did Tagamo as CGI because it was easier. It was yeah. easier to do it that way. I get it. Man, if they had gone that extra mile though, and if they had like yeah, I agree. just I, had a had like an Ed Wood style floppy octopus I on kept, set. I kept thinking the same thing when I was watching it. I was like, I mean, there's obviously because of the needs of a show of this budgetarily, sure. there's a lot of stuff where you're like, this is CG, I wish it wasn't, but it's a television show. What you know, are you gonna do? And it that looks has good. like that's very high concept. And it's right. like, okay, so they regularly have to come up with shit like a giant kaiju octopus. There's no way they can keep they spend the money to build it practically sure but, but the episode was good enough you were like man how much better would this have been if they actually had a real physical octopus it, it would have been really fun and uh, but i appreciated that they had the miniature battle at the end that was really cute and yeah. um and i just and i and i liked that he banged her at the end he was phrasing uh no, like literally had sex with her. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, sorry, sorry. Oh, you meant actually banged her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Rory. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, that's the thing is this is a show that's like, it's not pretending it's for little kids. Right. It's for adults who have little kids that are very active, like, in their head still. You know, like you yeah. and me. It's like, yeah, they all get drunk all the time. The uh, White Canary is in a lesbian relationship with another oh, character. You know, like, that's very serious, and they're into it. It's, uh, like, they don't they don't make a pretense towards being, but what about the children? But I feel like... But they like- also don't do the thing that makes you feel dirty with, like, like, oh, like yeah. Titans, where it's like... <laughs> Fuck Batman! <laughs> the thing that I did appreciate about this episode, and again, it's one episode of the series, uh, I, I felt like it wasn't inaccessible to kids, though. I felt like no. if you were a kid of maybe of a certain age, you could have a lot of fun watching this. I bet I bet kids probably love this show, probably like watching it with their parents. Um, and uh, and I just, yeah, not, no, I thought the whole thing with, like, lizards. Lizards. I, I was cute, and I liked that he was like, Kaiju. So, did this make you want to go back and watch more episodes of the show? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I'm I, I got a lot of shit to watch. If, if if even that, I understand but completely. I and maybe maybe you know what you know what I would recommend it. I would recommend the show based on this episode. I don't know if I've physically got time to go back and watch all these, but I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind watching them, and um, I would. I probably give the show. I like. I said, I'd be like, hey, you know what? Based on this episode, these characters are fun, and this seems like it's got a lot of interesting threads going on. So yeah, fuck it. Why not? Right on. So yeah, so yeah, and I really appreciate you. You know, kind of. Pushing me towards doing this, very and much pushing you making, hard to watch. To and watch and, it. and uh, you know what? I made time to watch the episode, and I. Given all the shit that I've had to do since getting back, I've, uh, I've, it's, it's rare it I get to like do that. It seems like you're always away. Every yeah, time I look, I'm like, it. wait, he's in where now? <laughs> 
Oh, there's a couple of places that I really want to go this year where which people sh- have been like, you should come out here. Which, if you want to know where Matt Frank is, you should go to his actual new official website, which That's is... Right. MattFrankArt.net. There uh, you go. I'm, I'm hopefully going to be uploading like a... Um, a, a con schedule at some point. Um, I have links to the Giganticast. I have links to Rage Select. I've got links to my YouTube channel. I've got links to my DeviantArt and my Instagram, and my Twitter, and all that shit. Uh, but, I mean, the website itself is mostly just a portfolio. It's like, here's what I've done. And then here's a couple of samples of my work. If you want to see the rest of it, go to these other places. But, yeah, um... And uh yeah, and we're on we're on uh Spotify and iTunes now. Yeah, right? by the time y'all hear this, this should be available to subscribe to specifically mm-hmm. uh on uh Spotify or iTunes. Of course we also have the generic one of us.net feed, which is everything from one of us.net that we put out and produce yeah. all of our shows. But if you're like, I don't I don't have enough I get it. It's like you're like, I only have so much time for so many things. Sure. Giganticast is now available on its own feeds for that, so That's you can do that. Fantastic. I'm still working on Stitcher, which is being complicated. Oh, well. They're like, yeah. they have our one big one, and they're like, but we see that these podcasts are on this other thing. It's like, iTunes doesn't have that problem. Why do you? Uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I At this point, I'll take what I can get. Um, and I'm hoping that, <laughs> no, 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 I appreciate you, uh, doing that for me, Chris. So I really, yeah, you deserve yeah. it, man. You're, Aww. you're an amazing artist and, and creator and historian oh, of up. this stuff. And plus you're one of my best friends. Oh, I shut love up. you to pieces. Well, I appreciate that, I, buddy. One I of us, too, man. One of us.net is, which is me, is officially proud as fuck. To host Gigantic. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm, and you know, I'm hoping that. I can uh, keep up a little more consistently with it this year because, as I've uh, as I mentioned when I came over, it, we tend to have a big burst of episodes at the beginning of the year, and then things kind of trickle off as things go well, through the it's year. It's easy at the beginning of the year because everything just kind of dies at the beginning of the year. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's nothing to do. Maybe well, I'll record some gigantic cast episodes. Well, it, it, and you know, I, I have a feeling that this year is probably going to be pretty active. Um, you know, or I, and I can make time. I we're we're. It just dropped on Netflix the, uh, the the third episode of the Godzilla anime, the third film in the series. And it's the final episode, um, and I'm going to get my crew together. Uh, Jennifer Larson's out of town right now. Uh, she's going to be back next week. We're probably going to record that episode over at my pe- my place because the only time we're going to be able to record it is on Tuesday afternoon, which is always a big movie night for screening. Exactly. So, so I'm just gonna we're just going to get our snowballs. I'm going to hook them up to my computer, and we're going to see if it can make that work. Okay. Um, I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and you'll. We'll just do it. We'll try it again later. We'll try it. We'll just have to wait until she's back in town. Yeah. She leaves like the day after to go somewhere else. Jesus. Well, she works for uh, she works for some company where she essentially goes state to state, city to city, inspecting 7-Elevens. Hasn't anyone told her that it's more important for her to be on Giganticast? I mean, I tell her that every time I see her, but I, I think it's what she would rather do. I'll remind her when I see her. Okay. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we've covered the episode pretty well. Like I said, I, I this seems like a really charming show, and i got to give them big props. For even if even if uh, some people might have some issues with some historical details about this, it's it's a really an uh, they honor his memory very well, and I feel like that's that's really all it needs to do. If it needs to change things for the sake of the episode, fucking do it. Yeah, we're gonna get you t-shirts that says Matt says relax. 
<laughs> that's an 80s reference, young ladies and well, gentlemen. That's so funny because I rarely do that at all. Um, but yeah, well, thanks again, Chris, for staying up a little later to record this with me. Uh, of course, the pleasure yeah. is all mine, sir. Yeah, so I would have uh, showed up on your last podcast, except I had no fucking idea what you were talking about. You know, I know you're not. I know you're not super familiar with anime, but goddamn, Gridman is a good show. I, I I heard you in the distance. I was playing Deadpool in my in the bedroom, so yeah. I like kind of over him going Jimmy Chongas. Heard you sometime going, oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like uh, huh? Sounds like something else was going on then. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. But what I will say real quick before we end this, uh, I, I like giving ratings. So I would give this particular episode, I'm going to give it like, I'm floating between an eight and a half or a nine. Wow. Uh, pretty high rated. I'm going to go with eight and a half just to be safe, you know, uh, just because I, uh, as a personal rating, I think if, it, if I was more familiar with the show, I'd probably give it a closer to a nine or something. Um, I'm going to give it that, uh, like, eight and a half out of ten uh, delightful pearls that a young woman pulls up from the deep. <laughs> nice. I, I would say, in general, you guys, even if you're not, like, this is not a show that requires you to be familiar with the shows they're pulling from at mm. all. In fact, it's not even involved in the big crossover this year ah. at all. In fact, there's an in-joke in it in an oh. episode <laughs> where where they're like... Oh, what, we got a call from, uh, the other people. Ah, fuck them. Just like, <laughs> like about awesome. some big thing going on. Nah. It's a show that is not that superhero, but it doesn't require you knowing stuff about superheroes to watch. It just requires you to have a, a, a big, good, geeky, gooey time. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. You man. were able to take this episode out of context and enjoy it, out of context and enjoy it completely. Sure, totally. So. There you go. All right. All right. So uh, that is it for this, I would say, mini episode, but only yeah. by definition of your last episode. Yeah, we went for a while. So thanks uh, thanks so much, uh, guys, for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>